And now for another amazing episode of the Pop Zara Podcast. I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy's right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Brownie. The cartoonist who had become famous the world over for creating Charlie Brown, Lucy, Linus, and Snoopy was born November 26, 1922 in Minneapolis, Minnesota as Charles Monroe Schultz. But to those who knew him best, he was just Sparky a childhood nickname given by his uncle, prophetically, named after the comic strip Barney Google. On October 2nd, 1950, Schultz would launch Peanuts, producing over 18,000 comic strips until his death on February 12th, 2000, the day before his final Peanuts strip was published. To celebrate the 50th and the 70th anniversaries of both Peanuts and Charles Schultz's 100th birthday, several celebrations went around the world, specifically from cartoonists. And now, one year later, another has come out. Our guest today on this episode of the Pop Zara podcast are the writing cartooning team, I'm sorry about that, Luca Debus and Francesco Mediucci, the creators of the grand new book, Funny Things, a comic strip biography of Charles M. Schultz, a massive comic strip theme biography of the cartoonist that details his Midwest beginnings to creating the world's most popular and beloved comic strip. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. And I should Thank say... You. It's uh, a pleasure. Oh, thank you. I should say that our guests are hailing from the beautiful country of Italy today. I'm very jealous. Uh, being in the Midwest in the United States, it's very hot. It's very sticky. I'm sure it's much more uh, much more pleasurable where you're at. So I appreciate it. Thank you for joining. Uh, oh, thank you. Well, right now I'm in New Jersey, so it's exactly the New same. New Jersey? As, as you, yeah. <laughs> oh, New Jersey is so beautiful. It's so beautiful at this time of year. Uh, I would say this uh, real quick. Uh, the centennial of Charles Schultz's birthday was actually in 2022. Uh, your book does come a little bit a little bit later. Uh, if we can take us a little bit about its creation, uh, how long it took in the publication, why 2023 instead of last year? Uh, yeah, so the idea actually was to come out uh, for the... 100th birthday of Schultz. We didn't get to that. <laughs> yeah, so like Francesco, I had the idea actually to uh, make this book. And that was, I would say, three years ago, right, Francesco? Uh, about three years, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it took us like around one year to like, you know, produce like a good project and, uh, and asking to be published, right? And so we found, we signed the contract with Top Shelf two years ago, finally second in like summer of 2021 and then it took us till now <laughs> to come out with a book yes it's not what what actually happened is that um we went to top shelf with with this idea saying okay we would like to do this book and be out uh, by november 2022 but they say okay uh, we we like this project we'd like to do it as better as we can so just don't rush it and do it with your time if we are not out for the 100th birthday that will be fine the most important thing is to have a book that we will be proud of and that's mainly because the book is out now and not uh, six months ago now for, for those who for those who are unfamiliar with either of your work this is the first 
a project that both of you have worked on that has been published in English, correct? I am familiar with Francesco's other book. You you did author a book on Hokusai, correct? That was published in English? Yes, there are a couple of books of mine that have been published in English, but they were not uh, written in English. They were written in Italian and then translated. I had an, uh, an Italian publisher first. This is the first one. Yes, you're right. Well, congratulations. Um, I, I was talking with our producer before. Ironically, uh, the only two pieces of original artwork I have sitting on my wall, uh, hanging on my walls, are actually a print of Hokusai's wave and a portrait of the Penis character. So we're in good company. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> and I mean that too. Totally real. But real quick, if we can, uh, if we can just talk about, if we can talk about your individual roles in the book before we get into the actual book so we're, we're clear. Who, who does primary writing and who does the primary illustrations? Right, so like I am the only one illustrating, so all the drawings are mine and we uh, co-wrote the, the book together. So we really, yeah, we really did it together. So like we had some, an outline and then we divided the work, how to do it, and, um, and then we did it. So we're both <laughs> writers and I'm the only illustrator. And as we, as we explained, uh, both of you originally hail from Italy and again, Charles Schultz, the Peanuts comic strip is indelibly, like much of the comic strip medium, very much an American thing. It was created during a time of post-war. It became very popular during the 1950s and 60s. It became the most popular comic strip in the world. That being said, I was kind of curious why it took it two Italians to create sort of a definitive illustrated version of Charles Schultz's biography, when most biographies are of him are just either written or documentaries. How did that come about? Well, I, I think you should ask this to <laughs> all the American authors that are out there and that didn't <laughs> didn't think about this. I mean, um, yeah, Schulz is a, a very American author, but his his influence, his impact. Uh, I mean, we we have felt it and we feel it uh, right now is huge in Italy as well, and as it is in the whole world, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Uh, Peanuts, uh, well, Schultz and Peanuts had a huge impact on on, on Luca uh, and on me as well. Uh, so, so why not? Yeah, I think like also like Schultz is very very popular in Italy as well. Mm. Uh, we have like like I think one of the first completely Italian like comics magazine is named after Linus, and it was the one of the the, the editors was um, uh, Umberto Eco. I don't know if you're familiar with him, right? So like a a very important Italian intellectual. So Pinas and Schultz were in Italy seen as, and still are seen as a, a very intellectual part of, of art. And um, in Italy it's very, very famous. And I think all cartoonists are influenced by, by him as much as in the US, I would say. Now, real quick, I, I do want to talk about translation a little bit because what's interesting, and this is part of the penis mythology that even Americans are aware of, that Charles Schultz was not fond of the word peanuts as a title, very famously, uh, you know, he'd spoken against it. And when mm -hmm. you look at when you look at how the the comic strip is translated around the world, uh, it, it omits the word peanuts in most cases. I know in Italian, it was funny, it was funny to learn it was, is it Pierano, which baby Peter, is that correct? Yes, uh, there was a very yeah. old edition on, on some kind of newspaper, I can't remember which one. But yeah, yeah. But now it's known as peanuts. Like it was like a very short-lived <laughs> translation. Uh, I think most of people don't really know that it was called like that for like a brief moment. It's. I would. I would caution anybody who's listening to go and try to find out what some of the other names for peanuts were back in the day. Some of them are very funny, like radish. 
uh, mm-hmm. all sorts of things, but definitely not Peanuts or definitely not Charlie Brown, which is, I think, uh, the name that Charles Schultz would have would have chosen for his comic. I think Peanuts is a perfect name for the comic, and I think most people would identify that and they would enjoy it, and it brings forth joy for them. So, but going going back, let's talk about the art style. Now, Luca, you said you were the artist here. Um, mm-hmm. This is a massive book, as I said before. This is over 400 pages. What was it like knowing that you were creating a version of a comic strip, knowing that this was not going to be syndicated every day or every week, that in order to read it, you would have to just buy it, and hopefully the reader would enjoy what you've done, as opposed to the way it typically is. You know, people read it in the newspapers, and you read a collection. So explain explain what that was like, the process, and how long it took, if you could. Yeah, this is a very interesting question. It is, it's true, like, it is a different mindset, drawing comic strips that are supposed to come out daily instead of, like, making this fake collection almost of comic strips right how it is this book yeah and because of that we really tried to also like in the writing process with francisco like not to be too repetitive um i think you know when you have a daily comic strip syndicated that comes out in the newspapers every day you can allow yourself to repetition right you can repeat some gags right some punchlines because the fact that you repeating something the day after is has kind of like a like a it's funny in its way, right? You're like uh, recalling something that happened the day before. But in a collection like this, if you read a comic strip and then the one after is essentially the exact same punchline, you wouldn't enjoy it that much, right? So like we were cautious about that, trying to give um, some um, differentiations, right? Among the strips, but at the same time, keeping the idea like the the fake, uh, you know, like the, the 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 gimmick almost that this is almost like a collection of daily comic strips so that every time a comic strip starts, you need to reset uh, what's happening, right? So like, oh, they have to say, you cannot like, you know, keep, you cannot uh, continue the conversation that's been happening from the strip before. You have to say again what's happening, right? So like we try to find a balance between you know, being like being uh, cautious that this is like, oh, this is like a, a collection, but at the same time, it has to mimic the daily comic strip experience because this is mm-hmm. the whole project, right? The nature of the project is we have to, we want to emulate what Peanuts was in the, and still is, because it's still printed in newspapers every day. And how long it took? Ian took that, ma- that long, I would say. Like, mm-hmm. I started the drawings more or less. Like I had something drawn before, but like the bulk, those the main, the majority of the book, I drawn from March 2022 to end of September 2022. So I had a very strict plan. <laughs> <laughs> I was drawing um, uh, so a, a, a full week per day. So like, you know, so like six daily comic strips and a Sunday page every day so that we could finish, you know, soon enough. <laughs> Does it give you an appreciation, uh, sort of being on that sort of regimen? Does it give you an appreciation for someone like Schultz that would that had that did this for real for over fifty years? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> also, like you know, this is this is what I you know I loved it because this is what I want to do. It's like my ultimate dream is to work on a daily comic strip, right? And so this is was also like um you know uh, testing myself. Can I do it? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the answer I think is yes. Like when it comes to, of course, you know, planning and the actual work, right? 
you know, I enjoy it very, very much. Is it tiring? Yes, it is. But it's something I really love doing. So it wasn't, it wasn't that much hard for me. And um, yeah, and I, I, of course, I appreciate it. But I knew it before, right? So I, I've been studying comic strips. I've been studying like Schultz's life for years, if not decades now. And so I knew what it took to, you know, have a comic strip every day. Uh, so, so I was prepared emotionally for that and uh and i and i did it and i was happy i could yeah well i would say this uh, as as fantastic as the artwork is the story is as important if not more so and i do want to switch to francisco for a moment about sources and about how how the story came about and i will say this again in, in the united states at least charles schultz is both a celebrity and an, i would say an enigma uh he is so well known to so many people, but so little known to so little people. And so we've, we have sort of mythologized him in a way. We know little bits about him. We know about his depression and agoraphobia. We know about his love for ice skating, but it's only through sort of adult oriented biographies. Do we know a little bit more? I don't think that creativity when you're a professional demands certain moods. Although I will admit that uh, moods of despair or even loneliness strangely enough, create uh, good humor. Sometimes when you're feeling the lowest, when everything seems so totally hopeless, because you are a person who looks at the funny side of things, you will come up with some of your best ideas. Happiness does not create humor. Sadness creates humor. Uh, There's nothing funny about being happy. For Francesco, I was wondering if you could take us a little bit about how you collected your sources that created the timeline for the comic? Um, okay, well, um, actually, we both knew a lot about Schultz even before we started working on the book. Mm-hmm. When we started, um, we just decided the web that we had to read basically everything that put our hands off. So we mostly read books, a lot of them. I have a whole shelf here just in front of me, full of biographies and books written by by Schulz or by people who, who knew Schulz or who met him, and watching documentaries and movies and basically trying to put together everything that was out there. And Luca did an amazing job organizing all this material. I still can't believe that he he did it. Um, When we started actually writing the book, we had these beautiful tables with all these, um, the episodes, the themes, the everything about Schulz with the title of the book in which uh, the the theme was, uh, where the information was, the page of the book. So we, we had this whole mass of information that we could just read while we, we were um, writing the book. It's been it's been some years now. The, the last major biography of Charles Schultz uh, printed in, in English was, of course, the famous Schultz and Peanuts by the author David Michaelis. Massive book, but received a lot of criticism from the Schultz family. I think, I don't know if you, I, I do want to ask you about this because there are themes in Michaelis's book that are presented in your book but they're presented very differently. And I wanted to get your opinion on this. Specifically, a lot of people did not know that Schultz, you know, his love life was not as smooth as maybe they would have liked. He experienced divorce, experienced remarriage. In the American books, it's presented almost puerile, almost um, exploitive. 
But in your book, it's almost presented as Charles Schultz's second life, where he became much more happy about it, where it became much more enjoyable. Were there differences that you took, were there licenses that you took to present this information one way or the other when when you chose this? Yeah, so like we were aware of the criticisms about David Michele's uh, biography mm -hmm. uh, and, and was important for us to understand them because, you know, of course, you know, Schutter's family knew him pretty well. <laughs> and so it was important for us to, you know, have their voices be heard, right? So like if we have this, this is what, you know, the problem with the Michael's um, biography, which I love because, you know, it was mm -hmm. my, you know, it's like a huge book where I can learn so much about my hero, right? And I really enjoy the book so, so much. But the problem with it is a bit of the, of the marketing, I think, of the book, because it was presented as this ultimate biography, right? Mm -hmm. And when you have such a character like Schultz, you know, like an artist like Schultz, you cannot have an ultimate biography, right? Because there's going to be so many different interpretations, so many different details you can put it on. And of course, like the Michael's biography is Michael's interpretation of Schultz's life, because when an artist dies, he becomes a work of art almost, right? Itself, himself. And uh, and so that, that's, you know, I read the book, Maker's book, and that was his interpretation and I loved it, you know, but that doesn't mean that Schultz was necessarily that, you know, uh, because that's not an ultimate biography. I am a very, I'm super fan of Oscar Wilde, right? And mm -hmm. I think every 10 years, the new ultimate biography comes <laughs> out that, you know, rewrites a little bit what was said before. This is the same thing, right? You, this is an artist, you cannot have an ultimate biography. And so it was interesting for us to, we were, you know, in this very uh, privileged spot, right? So we could read what the family didn't like about Michael's biography. And we could, um, hear those voices and like you know give a different interpretation because like, oh this is what they thought it is a very important um uh, perspective right and so uh what does that mean to our interpretation of Schultz? and we tried to work them together and that's what we came out with i i do want to make a, a comment about that i, I do i did enjoy michaelis's book as well for me growing up the the first biography i remember reading on Schultz was the famous uh, Good Grief, the story of Charles yes. M. Schultz by, uh, yeah. by Rita Johnson. Um, because uh, for those who don't know, back in the days before the internet, it was very difficult trying to find information when you didn't have everything at your mm -hmm. fingertips. So you you had to rely on books. You, you didn't have Wikipedia. You didn't have YouTube. So you had to take what you can get. Um, but in, regard, in regards to McKellis' biogra uh, biography and, and yours, how much do you think was inductive in that, uh, Luca? You said you, on the coast, you loved it, but a lot of uh, so much time was spent on trying to figure out why the Peanuts characters were the way they are. Who were they based on? What was the motivation? How much of that thinking went into uh, when you and Francisco wrote the book? How much of that was a conscious decision to answer those questions to say, well, this is why Lucy was a fuss budget. This is why Linus was insecure. I, I don't want to spoil the book for anybody, so I'll let you sort of answer that. <laughs> yeah, so, well, oh, wait, 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 you know, my opinion, and I think it's okay to his opinion, um, I think, you know, the focus of this book was Schultz himself. So uh, we didn't really focus on, like, oh, why is Lucy like that? What's mm -hmm. the inspiration behind Lucy, right? Uh, also because when, uh, you know, a person like Schultz, but any any artist, any author, you know, like, every character is a piece of themselves right uh so we can say that oh schultz met this woman that was really like lucy but 
let's get real. Lucy is a little bit him too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the focus of this biography is like, or trying to understand Schultz, giving our our understanding as you know, like not Americans, as people who never met him but love him so much, trying to understand, delve into uh, all these sources, and try to understand his personality and why he acted certain ways, and. Focus on that. Focus on Schultz himself, um, the, the the man and the artist behind Peanuts. Um, so we didn't really, you know, we didn't try to answer that answer those questions, in my opinion. <laughs> But then Francesco can say his, his take. <laughs> well, we didn't. You're absolutely right. And um, yeah. you know, when um, when you write and draw the same character for 50 years. I don't think you can really avoid changing those characters um, based on how are you changing as a human being. Uh, if you look at the characters at the beginning of the strip in the 50s and uh, at how they are at the end of the strip, you basically find different characters. And I'm not talking about Snoopy that is actually a different character, but even Charlie Brown, even Lucy, uh, even the you know these characters are They are very different because uh, the author changes and his opera changes with him. So I don't really know how to answer this. It's a huge question and yeah. I don't have an answer. But I think that that's it. Every character is a reflection of the personality of uh, of its own author in a way or or another. And in case in the case of Schulz's character, they are a reflection of, of universal characters. And I mean. Every one of us is uh, sometimes a dreamer like Snoopy, sometimes uh, we all are down like Charlie Brown, sometimes we are fast budget like Lucy, and the, the same, I mean, I could go on for, for every one of the others. I didn't okay. really answer, did I? Oh, I, I don't <laughs> think, I, I, I don't know if there is an answer, really. It's, I think that's sort of, um, maybe, that's, maybe that's sort of the, the gift and the curse of Charles Schultz is that there will be forever interpretations of of not just his artwork but of the person who created the artwork we're always you know my opinion is we're always looking for reasons why always trying to figure out why things are and sometimes they just are anyway i, I do want to talk specifically this is a comic this is a book about comic strips so let's talk a little bit about the artwork uh, i just want to say luca the artwork is fantastic looks fantastic thank you so much oh my god uh, <laughs> I will say looks great both physically on paper and looks great digitally on readers, which is always nice. You don't always see that. But let me ask you a question. This is going to be a big one. I debated whether I was going to ask you this. Uh, for a comic strip about Charles Schultz and a comic strip about Peanuts, it seems like there was a conscious, maybe even litigious reason why we don't really see the Peanuts characters, why we don't really see a lot of the Peanuts iconography. Um, I, I imagine that's probably self-evident. The question is, the art style that you chose to render Charles Schultz and the, the style that the comic strip is, I don't think it's controversial to say this, but it doesn't really resemble Charles Schultz's artwork as much as it resembles, let's just say, another famous cartoonist who I want to get into in a second. Would this be accurate? Would this, was this a decision to, to, not, to not copy Schultz's style? Yes, it was a conscious de- 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 decision. Um, this is simply like my style. So when mm-hmm. I draw, that's how I draw. Which, of course, you know, it's a combination of inspiration and like influences from all over the world, you know, and then that's my personal style. And yeah, it was cautious. It was, you know, we didn't want to uh, make 
you know, like a fake peanuts, you know, that would be blasphemy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we wanted to create our own, again, interpretation, right? And our own interpretation comes with our own style, our own humor, if you want. And, and this translates into the book. So we have my drawing style, we have our, like Francesco and I'm writing style. Uh, so yeah, that was Pasha's, and um, and I think that was the, a good idea in my <laughs> mind, in a sense that I think if it will look like peanuts, then it will defeat the purpose of being, you know, as we said before, like oh, this is our vision of Schultz, you know, it will be just uh, I don't know, like oh, we we're gonna imitate not only the mm. medium but also like Schultz's style and. We're going to tell about Schultz in Schultz's drawing style and Schultz's world. And it's too much, right? We cannot do that. That's, we're not Schultz, right? Schultz could do that. We cannot do that. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, I think, I think yeah, that's a decision we went for. And I think, it, yeah. I hope, I hope you take this as the highest compliment I can give. But throughout the entire book, the, the one artist I actually kept thinking about as I read, as much as I was reading about Charles Schultz, visually, your style is very similar I would say to Bill Watterson from Calvin and Hobbes, and I. Well, that's very nice of you to say, <laughs> <laughs> because like when I got the physical copy of the book, I opened it and I was like, "Yeah, it doesn't look like Watterson, though." <laughs> not if if not so much in the tenor, but the idea is that, for example, I would say, and tell me if I'm wrong, with Schultz, there were very specific markers that we don't see adults, we don't have interactions between adults, we have children facing certain ways, we have specific poses. Um, in your in your book, we have adults. We have sort of the limit, like we have the imagination of Snoopy, and and I think maybe that that's because so much of what Charles Schultz developed influenced so many other comic strips, specifically you know Bill Watterson and Calvin Hobbes, which I do want to talk about in a moment. But you also see sort of the breadth of the entire history of comic strips, everything from George Harriman's Crazy Cat all the way yeah. to like Berkeley Breathed's, you know, Bloom County or Outland or Bloom County again, because he kept, he kept rebooting it. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. But I do want to talk about the artwork just for a moment. For those who don't know, when Peanuts first debuted in 1950, it was not a regular strip. It was called a uh, Space Saver, which meant that it was given to newspapers so they could sort of cut up and put where they could, wherever they could fit it. So the artwork was intentionally sparse. Um, I, I would imagine it's more of an economic decision. But you look at comic strips today as they exist, and they are not like that for the most part. They are, I, I mentioned Berkeley Breathed's New Bloom County, which he resurrected recently. You have, with the aid of digital medium, you have lush, you have very detailed comic strips that were, would not be possible on the old print style back in the day. Um, how do you feel about the evolution of comic strip artwork and how much of that went into when you decided to illustrate this book? Wow, what a beautiful question. Okay. It's so easy um, too. It's such an easy question. <laughs> It is, but it's so okay. hard to answer to it. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I think, you know, comic strips is my preferred medium when it comes, genre, we would say, when mm-hmm. it comes to comics. Uh, because I like how personal comic strips are to the author, you know, and, and the power of comic strips is exactly that, right? So how the author can put so much of uh, themselves in it, and that is so relatable, right, to the readers. And also, you know, like I, I see comic strips, you know, if you have to make like a comparison, you know, with a normal like literal world, right? I, I see comic strips as as poetry, right? So like you have a very strict um, metric, right? So you have four panels, three panels, and you have to like stick in this format. 
So you have like this, you know, strict like rhyming almost like rhythm. And it's so personal for the author too. And I really like that. And, and because of that, I really like that authors, different authors can give very different styles of drawing styles. I mean, we have, I mean, you mentioned some, but let's, mm-hmm. you know, there's so different, right? Like there's so many, there's so different. Like I enjoy like a very modern comic strip right now. It's like um, William the Brave, right? By uh, Will Henry. And it is so different from like the Watterson or like Schultz or like, you know, Kate guess why you know like it, they're so different and i don't think there's necessary like a linear progression when it comes to art styles in the comic strips of course there's differences of course if you go to the very you know back in the past during the 30s comic strips were very realistic almost right not all of them but like there were these adventure strips called so right and so they had very realistic characters in them and now it's less so they're more cartoonish but i think what's beautiful is that everybody can do whatever they want in a way right we have frank chaw doing like comic strips like with liberty meadows and there's realistic again right the characters of course not the animals but <laughs> so i like that everybody can do whatever they want and um because that's the, the purpose of comic strips in my opinion so when i try to develop my own drawing styles of course i have my preferences or i like this drawing style is better than the others because it speaks, you know, in a different way to me, better to me. And so I am drawn to those styles. And so I developed this style for myself. But I don't think, you know, of course, it's putting puts himself in a line in the sense that, oh, it comes after so many. And of course, these people coming before me inspire me because it's, you know, inevitable. I think it stays by its own at the same time, right? Because it's, of course, it's inspired, but it doesn't need to be followed by something else. That's what I mean. Does it make sense? I don't know. Of course. <laughs> well, I mean, you are, we, I think if you're an artist, I think what happens is you are, you know, you do accumulate your influences and whether, yeah. whether it's intentional or not, I think they become part of you if you admire something. We, I mean, we learn by mimicry, don't we? We, mm-hmm. we do, we copy what we like. It's, and for those who have never seen it, I, I would, um, when I was younger, Charles Schultz himself could mimic many different art styles. He was a, he was an extremely gifted artist that, when you look at his early attempts at comic strips, they don't all look like peanuts. They don't all look like that. He was able to do different styles as well. Um, I mentioned Bill Watterson for a moment. I do I do want to get your opinion on this one. For those who aren't familiar, Bill Watterson, when he created Calvin and Hobbes in, I think, 1985, I think a lot of people saw Calvin and Hobbes as sort of the heir apparent to peanuts. Um, I, I don't think you would find an American comic strip that had such a meteoric rise to popularity so quickly as opposed, I mean, we're talking, we're talking about a comic strip that lasted less about 10 years. Yeah. And in that time, it's syndication level rival peanuts, the character, but he, but the, the plan that Bill Watterson took was entirely 100% different than Charles Schultz. There was no mark, very famously, no marketing. There was no character. There was no animated specials. There was no toys. There was no nothing. It was purely a comic strip, and it remained a comic strip. In regards to artwork, um, I wanted to get your opinion on this because newspapers, starting in the '90s with the internet, shrunk, started shrinking. Space became more valuable. You know, readership went down. But here you have a cartoonist that was demanding that he would have more space. You know, larger space. You know, if you don't print my comic on half a page, you're not getting it. If you don't. You know, you're not allowed to, like with Charles Schultz, you're not allowed to chop my comic strip up. It has to remain as I did it. Um, what do you think about that in regards to the way we view comic strips today? Do you do you think that 
there would be a cartoonist that would have that sort of pull today, or do you think that would be left to the internet? That's also a super interesting question. Oh my God, yeah, I think of course, like when we talk about Bill Watterson, like we we said that Schultz was kind of an enigma. Mm-hmm. Bill Watterson is even more than an enigma, yes. <laughs> because like he, you know, I think he escapes or interviews, you know, and, like he's this myth. Like, does he exist? Even, <laughs> you know, of course he does, but you know, he's very elusive, I would say, right? So it's hard for me to like say what went through his mind, but like to me, like this idea I have of Bill Watterson is like someone who knows his value very well. And will fight for it, right? Like um, Schultz was a person who didn't think that what he w- was doing was art, right? That comic strips were art. According to Schultz, comic strips were just a mean to sell more newspapers, right? It was like part of this selling process. Uh, Bill Watterson, on the other hand, was like, "Oh no, I'm making art, and my art needs to be displayed in a certain way because I'm the artist, and I'm going to tell you how to see my art, right?" So we have two very different mindsets. And that really worked for Watterson. And will it work nowadays? I really don't know. Like I uh, like comic strips in the modern times, they're changing in the sense that, you know, the, as you said, most of them, I would say, well, not most, well, let's say, let's say most of them, a lot of them, they, they are um, seen through Instagram, right? Or like other kind of social medias because they work well in this kind of, uh, you know, scrolling just few panels, right? Uh, kind of um, template for like a social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, because how social media works, I think a lot of comic strips that you find there are more similar to memes rather than what comic strips used to be. Um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, right? But I think that uh, the how uh, uh, social media are perceived, you can work with just, you know, not you, you don't have like free space uh, with the medium of comic strip because you have to, uh, you know, uh, if you want to be successful and successful means having a lot of views, you need to, um, uh, you know, try to do what people like, which is, you know, not really you know, having something fast and quick. There's I mean, a lot of like very successful internet comic strips. You don't have characters. You have figures, right? They mm-hmm. don't develop as characters. They, they're like this, uh, you know, um, bodies that will say something, and then you have the punchline at the end. You know, there's they're very different from what Watson did, from what Schultz did, which were more like personality driven. Uh, the the work, right? So, will it work nowadays? I would say. I would hope so, <laughs> in the sense that, of course, I want um, art to be uh, successful. The problem is like, and this has always been a problem, it's not, like, it's not, it's not just now. Um, art sometimes, it's not the same as a selling product, right? What is very good, not necessarily is very, uh, you know, um, sellable is that even a word i don't know but you cannot sell something that isn't necessarily very good sometimes you have to um you know do i don't know uh, lower the quality sometimes in order to have it to sell more copies right or to like have more views um and this is the problem that you know it's not just in comic strips and everywhere and it's always been there right how capitalism in a way influences art right um 
And my hopeful response to your question would be like, <laughs> yes, of course, <laughs> yes, of yeah. course, it will happen.、Uh, but do I believe that? I don't know.、Um, I let's say I do because I'm a positive person. <laughs> What about that? Well, I, th- I think you're right. I think I think I guess you could leverage that that criticism against any any form that was dominant at one point in time. You know, television or novels or anything else. Like we just we're we just there's too much disparity now. It's there's there's no single medium or single outlet that holds our attention the way like a newspaper was or a TV was back in the. Yeah, 50s I mean, look at all the like、yeah. writer strikes happening now,、mm-hmm. right? So like you know this AI battle and then this streaming services battle. You know, it's、mm-hmm. very similar what's happening in comic strips if you think about it. But of course, it's. You know, it's different statures, right? So, like, you have you know the movies, TV series industry, which is much bigger than the comic strip one. So, it's you know the battle is happening there. But I think whatever happens there, in a way, will be reflected in what happens in comic strip because at least that's what I think. Maybe in a very naive way, but I, because I think the battles and the struggles are very similar in a way. I do too. I think、um, I think what it is, it's the survival of the creative. As sort of the, the you know the idea maker, the idea that I, I think the criticism on AI is that it, in order for AI to survive, it needs to it sort of needs to、uh, feed upon content that was already created, but content、yeah. needs to come from somewhere. It it just doesn't come out of the ether. It needs to be created. <laughs> I、you、wish so. Of course, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and I think maybe the maybe sort of re- more respect towards the to the people that actually do create the the content in the first place.、Um, but going back into pathology, I will say this:、um, you you hit something、uh, a good transition point where you talked about Charles Schultz often disparaged himself as an artist. He would, I mean, very famously, he would on one hand he would disparage himself as a as what he was doing was art, but on the other hand, he would be very protective about what he was doing. Was his livelihood, and I think Schultz, as a as a human being, was very contradictory in a way that I think、um, makes him more interesting. I know、um, you, you remember. I don't know if you remember the very famous comic that he did、uh, with his good friend Patrick McDonald, who did Mutts, the very famous one where、uh, the Peanuts gang is in a museum looking at art, and I think you have rerun Van Pelt, you know Linus's brother, looking at a, a framed portrait of Earl. The dog from Mutts, and I、yeah. think that was very symbolic. That you know how he really felt that comic strips were indeed you know art that was worth exploring and worth you know respecting. So despite his despite his public statements to the the contrary,、um, but real quick, I do want to go back to Francesco real quick on the writing part.、Um, you know, very famously, Mark Twain once said, you know, explaining humor is a lot like dissecting a frog. You, you learn a lot in the process, but in the end, you kill it. And I think when you have someone like Charles Schultz, who is so enigmatic and so mysterious to so many people, but at the same time he created some of the most popular characters ever of all time. I, I would say on rival Walt Disney at least.、Um, how do you choose? How do you how do you start choosing which which stories to present when you have? And I, I did call the book massive. It's very big, four hundred pages. But even that's not enough. How do you choose which stories to sort of represent those those moments in Charles Schultz's life? Well, we we try to understand which were the the, the facts that were more important in his biography.、Um, well, not just in his biography, but in、um, what were the most important things for his life and for his work. 
because there are um, a few things that maybe were not were not influential in his daily life that you know brought something to the comic to to peanuts. So we of course we would use them uh, in, in the book and tell them. Basically, we tried to put everything in, in the book. Oh, we couldn't, of course, uh, but that was we we aimed to uh, to tell a story that didn't have any blank space between uh, an episode and uh, and the and the following one. Uh, and just just to tell his story, really, um, I, I I don't know how, how to answer this better <laughs> than this. Maybe uh, what we tried to do was to to reflect him uh, through his biography. I read a couple of reviews that uh, recently came out about the book, uh, where the the author said that the the humor of uh, of funny things resembles Schulz uh, Schulz humor, and I think that's true, of course, but. I also think it's wrong, just because, um, yes, of, of course, it's his story. His story has been told to us by, well, some biographers, but by him as well. So there is him in the in the text that uh, that, that would be in the text that, that we read. Writing the book was Luca and I, of course. So the the humor that we put in it uh, is our humor. That of course was hugely and massively um, influenced by Schulz's, of course. I mean, we've been in love with him for decades now, so it couldn't be otherwise. But that's the way that, that we work. There are a few uh, a few things in the book that I think Schulz would never tell the way we did, at least. <laughs> I would uh, I would say one, one such story that I'm very happy you put in the book, uh, and thank you for this, was you bring attention to uh, another cartoonist by the name of Jen Sassville, who was an assistant with Schultz, a, a ghostwritten assistant, who did, who is almost never mentioned in, when we talk about the history of Peanuts. Uh, he was the only other person to ever officially draw, you know, the Peanuts characters in comic book form. And uh, he's given quite prominence in your book. And for, the, and for those who don't know, I would recommend researching him more. Uh, my question is, uh, before we go off to the, the final, sort of the final stretch, is... When we talk about mediums, um, I, I mentioned this at the beginning, that we've had so many Charles Schultz biographies. We've had so many Charles Schultz documentaries. We've had TV specials. But this really is the first time we've ever seen his story in his own medium. And uh, Schultz very, would famously say that he doesn't have assistance. He never has assistance. But I don't think that's necessarily true. I think Peanuts doesn't exist just as a comic strip. I think Peanuts exists as a brand that's more than a comic strip despite the fact that people think it is, which again, you document in the book, uh, very famously, the Charlie Brown Christmas special, which uh, introduced Peanuts to animated form. But at the same time, it sort of created new partners with Schultz. Uh, I wanted to get your opinion on this. We have, of course, you know, the animator Bill Melendez, uh, Melendez and, you know, the, the jazz musician Vince uh, Guaraldi, who are, I would believe, as integral, uh, integral to the Peanuts mythology as Schultz in many ways. So my question to you is, well, I guess the idea would be, I, it is a difficult question, is that uh, we've sort of become comfortable with talking about Peanuts in one way or the other. But when you look at when you look at how Peanuts has started as a comic strip, became an animated series, went to television, became a musical, became a movie, and you know became a Broadway, uh, off-Broadway sensation. Um, and now we're sort of back to comic strips again. Uh, how do you feel... Do you think uh, Peanuts is strong enough to 
to earn all of that respect in those different genres, as opposed to just a comic strip. Then, well, Peanuts is born as a strip in the in the fifties, of course. And um, for for us, I mean, for uh, Luca and I, um, it almost is only a strip because um, I mean, we watched the, the TV specials, we've seen all the other things. Um, not the musical, I haven't actually. <laughs> um, but the, the 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 films, the TV special, are not as popular in Italy as they are in the in the US. So um, we were born, we we were uh, we grew up uh, reading the strips, and and that's it basically. So uh, it, it was natural for for us to to come out with with the idea of uh, telling the uh, the story of uh, Schultz's life as a strip. Of course, Peanuts belong not only in newspaper, but on TV, theaters, and, and, and so on. And um, I think that the characters are so strong that they work very well. Um, I mean, I love the TV specials. Um, I watched all of them. I love um, most of them, let's say this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, the, they're so powerful. They, I think you could put them everywhere and they will work. Okay. No, yeah, I agree with that. Like, I think how uh, Francesco said, um, like in Italy, uh, comics, the Peanuts comic strip is what really matters <laughs> in a way. Uh, so it was natural for us to come back to comic strips, like doing this biography and I think uh, you know all the other medias that you, you know, the other media that you mentioned, uh, Nathan, like you know TV, mm-hmm. uh, cinema, uh, theater. They all feed back to the comic strip anyway, right? So like um, the TV specials, a lot of the punchlines are actually taken from a strip, you know. Um, and so the same with like movies and uh, the musicals. Uh, so I think you know the the comic strip is the ground zero of peanuts right and of course that developed in so many different things but if we want to explore schultz's life we should go back to that ground zero i think because that's also what schultz loved the most at the end of the day his trip um so uh i think it's very natural to go back to the comic strip and i think that yeah, as Francesco said, like the characters work, they're so idiosyncratic that like they work everywhere, right? In every medium. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if there's going to be a new medium, <laughs> I don't know, in 20 years. I'm sure they will thrive there as well. Um, but uh, who they are is the comic strip and how they were created is the comic strip. So I think if you really want to understand them and analyze them and like, understand shuls we have to go back to the comic strip which are amazing you know and they they hold up like some comic strip are like more than 50 years old and they still hold up this is amazing right mm-hmm. and so i think we need to remember the importance of the comic strip and we really need to go back to them more often i think did you um i don't know did you have it but you probably have the uh the the recent cg animated peanuts movie that came out i think in 2015 um yeah i was actually a little surprised and happy when i watched it i noticed that they also incorporated uh charles schultz artwork into the film as thought balloons it was it was interesting to see them sort of honor his artwork um 
you know, inside what you would call like, you know, state-of-the-art CG animation. But at the same time, some of the best parts were, you know, Schultz's original drawings that were animated. So I thought yeah, that I a... love that too. Yeah, I remember like watching it because I was a bit, you know, I was like, oh, do we need a CGI movie on Athena? <laughs> but then um, it, uh, like, as you said, those little sometimes were like Ochebarn was was thinking something. You had a little bubble with like actual lines, like Schultz's lines and moving, and that was beautiful. I thought, why couldn't all movie be done like that, right? Because it was simply gorgeous and I was like oh I, I need that I, I need more than that <laughs> you know? uh, but that again it tells you oh how much because like the how the animators did they really they scanned Schultz's drawings to copy the lines right like those mm -hmm. lines we saw in the movie they were Schultz's lines right and what was to me the most attractive thing of the whole movie Schultz's lines and where they come from from the comic strips right <laughs> so again it's Everything goes back to that, in my opinion. And I do want to, I do sort of want to wrap this up uh, where we began, and that is sort of looking at Schultz's personality real quick. Um, and I promise you, I won't ask any, any like hugely thought provoking questions that would require <laughs> 10 hours, and I apologize. Um, but that really does come to the contradiction of Schultz. And I think any attempt to sort of create a, bi a complete, like you said, all encompassing biography, you're not going to have that. So you have to focus on you know, individual aspects of his life. Um, you know, Schultz very famously said, you know, happiness does not create humor. You know, there's nothing funny about being happy, you know. Yeah. And so when we have this, it, the contradiction that you would have a person who, you know, very famously would be unhappy, or I guess we'd say melancholic, you know, he'd suffer from, you know, it's like depression, but would create such an expansive world that made so many people happy. And you see this a lot in art. You see, you see people who suffer, who suffer for their art. You know, Schultz would, would often say that Charlie Brown was most like him, that if he was having a bad day, Charlie Brown, you know, he could go up and sort of inflict his, inflict that on Charlie Brown because Charlie Brown could take it. But at the end of his life, and I, it's very hard to find some of this stuff. I don't know if you, if you had a chance to see it, but it's very difficult to find sort of Charles Schultz's last interviews, like before he passed away. But he would he would sort of have show regret a little bit that Charlie Brown never kicked the football. He would say, you know, he would he would cry when he would say that. It's like, oh, he never got to kick the football, poor kid. But I think I, I no spoilers here, but I, I do like the way that your book ends. I don't I think it ends exactly where it needs to be. Um, no spoilers. You have to read it to find out. Well, final question, guys, for both of you is what would you want people to take? from reading this and what would you hope they would do with the with what they've learned from Charles Schultz from reading your book well okay well the the interview that you just talked about mm -hmm. is is heartbreaking because you can actually see Schultz that is uh, laughing trying to hide the fact that he's crying and that's well one of the most beautiful and terrible things uh, at the same time uh, it's really heartbreaking well, Charlie Brown didn't kick the football, and uh, I think that's right that he didn't. We are so sorry for him, of course. Fortunately, he's not a real person, so <laughs> the pain that he feels is not real for for someone who... I mean, there's not a real person who tried to kick the football and had that flight in the air, and, you know, we all know how it ends. <laughs> About the books, I would be happy just if someone 
read it and laughs and enjoy himself just reading him reading the reading the book of course the uh, the book is a homage to uh, to to Schultz so it's about him not about uh, Luca and I and so I mean if you uh, learn what happened because that's not about learning it's about knowing someone uh, so if you think at the end of the book that you knew Schultz a little better I'm happy but if you just say I had a couple of really good laughs reading it I'm happy right well I hope people will laugh <laughs> yeah it's something similar to what Francesco said in my on my end I think I wish like people uh will will feel emotions in a way right I think like I hope they at the end reading this book will relate not just to peanuts but also to Schultz himself how we portrayed him and um, I hope they people will think of what we portrayed oh. and like um how, you know experience the emotions that we thought Schultz would have experienced in some occasions and and because of that having like a deeper connection to Schultz as an artist but also as a human I think that's me <laughs> yeah no I would I would also say that you know throughout the history of peanuts people would often refer to Charlie Brown as a loser you know, as a failure and all of this. And I think, but I think ultimately, again, Schultz, who would contradict himself, would would ultimately say that a loser is someone who quits. And Charlie Brown never quit. He, he never kicked the football. He never flew the kite. He never won a game, but he never quit. He kept going. And I think at some point, I think that would, that he would represent the ultimate every person in us who, you know, would, would want to persevere and want to see it through. And I think, at the end of the day, and this is my final thought, that very famously, you know, Charles Schultz would die the day before his final peanut strip would be published. And I think some people have tried to read into that. But I think um, artistically, I think I think it's appropriate that, you know, a man that would create such beloved characters and a beloved comic strip, you know, the, the strip would famously no longer continue without him. And I think I think everyone would find that appropriate. But but the story goes on. And I think, I think the story goes on quite well in the book that you two have created. And I just want to thank you before we head out here. I just want to say one more time, thank you to our very special guests, uh, cartoonists and writers, uh, Luca Debus and Francisco Mediucci, who have created a wonderful new biography, uh, Funny Things, a comic strip biography of Charles M. Schultz. It's available now from Top Shelf in the United States. And if you're outside the United States, I'm sure it's available there as well. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining the Pop Zara podcast. Thank you so much. It's been so, so fun. Thank you. Yeah. Recently, my secretary came to work one morning and she said that her little boy had come home from school the previous afternoon, had removed his jacket, had thrown it down on the living room couch and had said, Mom, I feel just like Charlie Brown. And all of a sudden it occurred to me after all of these years, this is the purpose of Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown is somewhat like a line of poetry. That little boy then did not have to talk any more about his feelings. The mother knew exactly how he felt. And I suppose this could be the reason for Charlie Brown's existence. If someone says to you, oh, I feel just like Charlie Brown today, you know how he feels. Thanks for listening to the Pop Zara podcast. Remember to like, follow, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app or service.